0: Season two of Pop and
1: Play!
2: <laughs> Woohoo!
0: <laughs>
1: hey, Haney, welcome back. Hey, Nathan, good to be here.
0: You seem excited.
1: I am. I'm very excited. Well, welcome everybody. On this season of Pop and Play, we're talking about narratives. What are the stories we watch, listen to, read? And how do these structures of these stories or the lack of structure contribute to our experiences building or existing in narratives?
0: On this episode, we're talking role-playing games. Role-playing games are social experiences where a group of people collectively create a narrative through interactions with each other, through a predetermined world, and also the rules of a game system. A game master sets up the basic narrative elements of the world and the story, and they manage the game rules, and then they also prompt the players as we build our story together. If you've heard of Dungeons & Dragons, you've definitely heard of role-playing games.
1: Dungeons & Dragons are just one example of a role-playing game. There are so many more with a huge variety of narrative elements, each requiring different levels of involvement, expertise, and seriousness.
0: Role-playing games can be a valuable tool for trying on different identities, which of course could be a lot of fun, but it can also get a bit complicated. We get into that and more with our guests.
1: And since this is Pop and Play, we weren't content to just talk about role-playing games, we had to play one.
0: And folks, we had a ball. But our endless giggling, bathroom jokes, and commitment to a traveling acrobat troop bit got a bit long.
1: But since it did get a little long, we pulled some clips of the gameplay session together with the conversation and help from our fellow nerd friends, Matthew Berlin from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Ontario Garcia from Stanford University.
0: So, Haney, tell us about the game that we played together this week.
1: So I think originally when I thought about role-playing games, I definitely thought about pretend play, and I thought kids do this all the time, right? They always role-play, they always do this. How hard could it be? Um, <laughs> it's kind but, of easy, right? Yes, to my... Um, Yes, to my shame, I realized that it was actually really hard. Um, and in preparation for it, I actually watched a YouTube clip of Critical Role. And it was like a bunch of like expert professionals <laughs> doing a role-playing game. And it definitely discouraged me. I definitely had frozen in fear of failure during this whole thing. So we played Lady Blackbird. Um, so Lady Blackbird is pledged to be married to... Uh, Royalty, I think, right? Um, And what she wants to do is escape to a faraway island to be with her lover. And so she hires this, like, smuggler ship and a crew of, like, outcasts and people like that um, to help her get to this island.
0: Um, Haney, can you say a bit about what character you chose to play?
1: So... Um, in preparation for it we all had to pick a role and so i actually don't remember who all the characters are but i chose lady blackbird who was the central main character of the story <laughs> and i was a little hesitant on whether or not i was going to choose her because i was afraid of what everybody else might think of me choosing the central character um and who did you choose nathan
0: so the character I chose was kale uh, it d- described as a burglar and petty sorcerer first mate and mechanic of the owl I am very drawn to the sort of thiefy type characters for some reason even though' I'm, I'm follow most most all the rules <laughs> generally in my everyday life but when I'm pretending mm. I like to to be the more kind of oh
1: like a rebel you're a yeah, rebel
0: <laughs> I try to put on a rebel identity just for pretend. <laughs>
1: I was, think- I was thinking about when we were doing our back and forth email chain, everybody was very confident in what they chose. Yeah,
0: that's right. We were, we were all like very like, oh, of course I'm gonna be that character. How could I be any other one?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so now let's jump to the game. Antero played the role of Snargle, the goblin pilot, and Matthew acted as our game master. Our story, Lady Blackbird, begins with each of us trapped in a different part of our ship. With the bad guys, the Imperial Guard, looking for us.
1: So, prior to what you'll hear next is when Lady Blackbird, played by yours truly, disabled the guards by releasing a lavender bomb to escape. This ingenious move made the guards very, very chill. (laughs) And this
0: clip picks up with each of us trying to sneak past the remaining guards to retake the ship.
3: All right, the three of you together, how are you gonna get the ship (sighs) back? Come up with a plan and then it'll happen. I mean,
0: Snargle, you're the you're the pilot, you know, do you have any ideas of how we can get a hold of this thing?
2: So there is uh, there is a way we could hack into the, the cruise control sensors that are directly below the bridge. The bridge? Wait, wait. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. That's what it's called. <laughs> if we get down there. Uh, it, it is a it is a three person uh, and it's one of those things where like two people need to turn a lock at the same time and another person needs to um, whisper the code into the absolutely the that was
3: done that way on purpose absolutely okay, it correct. was
2: mm-hmm. um, but if we can get down there um, then then I think I think we could probably take over the ship
3: yeah you only believe there to be two people between yourself and that secret hatch that gets you to underneath the bridge. Um, how are you going to get past those two people?
1: I feel like we should just be in disguise.
3: Mm -hmm. Just Just put on like a big, like Groucho Marx glasses and, and just be like, Hey, what's up guys. (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah, we should just stroll right in there. I mean, who
3: knows? Great. That just happened. You walked (laughs) up to the two guys, um, and they're like, wait, who are you? Those are. Why are you dressed in, who are, what is, are you, were you passing, were you passengers? Lady Blackbird, what do you do about them? What do you, how do you answer them?
1: I don't, I just pretend I'm in a silent movie and I just keep walking and just keep confusing them. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: great, I'm gonna give you uh, another 2XP for that. It says you only have one on my sheet. You You should have at least five.
0: Okay, so XP stands for experience points. I know experience is with an E, but that's just what it is. So the game master is going to give us experience points when we do something that matches up with our character, and then we can spend that XP to unlock new skills and traits.
3: So, so when you uh, uh, again, you can spend those XP at any time if you want to be able to fly all of a sudden, or blast people with lightning or whatever, um, or sense pe- things from afar. You know, just go ahead and hit modify and change that or whatever you want. Um,
1: Got it, okay.
3: uh, So that was a strange decision to make. Um, They, I will say, um, you walk right up to them and you're just act like you're in a silent movie. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) they are like, I, one of them sort of looks down and is like, The fact that you are acting like Charlie Chaplin and that it smells so powerfully of (laughs) lavender right now is, I mean, I cannot, I don't know what's happening, but I'll tell you what I feel right now, which is okay. Like for the first time in a long time. Do you know what I mean? Uh... Like I took, like, I'm feeling okay. (laughs) I've got to go call my mom. And one of them just sort of walks off. Uh, The other is less convinced. And he's like, oh, man. Uh, So you're me. You, the one who looks like me, except for slightly greenish. Why are
2: you me? Snargle? I think I kind of want to lean into the silent movie situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when they give me the confused look that's when I start pulling the invisible rope that's leading me away from them, kind of doing the, the mime version. <laughs> <laughs> and just look very confused while I'm doing it. I, I can't help but have to pull this rope and walk away
3: rather than <laughs> engage in this
2: conversation.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love everything about that too. Uh, you, you can take two XP for that. Uh, Kale, what, do you, what is your way? So one of them wandered off to go call his mom. Um, one of them is staring and and the one that remains is at the moment fixed on snargle trying to parse why he is seeing himself do a rope trick Mm. at himself. Right. Um, what, when you are trying to pass by, what do you do? Um, so I do two things.
0: One, I use a light spell to like make it blindingly light, uh, Right near that um, Empire guy's
3: face. Mm -hmm. And two, I pants him. Okay. (laughs) You you pants, you blind him so you can pants him. (laughs) Um, Everything about this is could not be more confusing. You've basically just walked up to a random small town cop (laughs) uh, and tried to pants him while being, while someone else was him doing a mime rope trick.
1: Very nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that was our game. I'm not sure if any of our listeners could actually follow what what was going on there during that game, but it was a lot of fun to play.
1: I don't even know if I know what just happened. So, Nathan, (laughs) should we talk about what happened during this role-playing game?
0: Let's do it. Well, so, Haney, I'm curious, since um, Mm -hmm. this is your first time... Playing a role-playing game, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, how did you feel about it? What's your, what's your sort of reaction to it?
1: I realize that I don't play a lot of games in general.
0: Oh my god, <laughs> we got I don't know how we got into this partnership.
1: That's why that. I'm so good at the "what's poppin" part. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: true. Um,
1: so, so I don't really play a lot of games in general, um, and so I think I'm very much used to games with rules, um, and it's a lot easier to circumvent something with rules because you know, like, even in that, you know that you're circumventing a rule versus, like, just creating something kind of on the fly. And I think I've told you this, Nathan, how I feel like one of the one of the things that actually pushed and stretched, like, how I thought about play and imagination was when I did improv. Yeah. And not that I was an improv person, but I was chosen to take a stab at it as the audience member. And I was like, this is so freaking hard. It's crazy. <laughs> like, I'm like, I do not realize how hard it was to just even sustain a storyline. Right. <laughs> so I think that was the thing that was interesting to me is that I just didn't know how to like create like scenarios for myself, except just be like, what did I just do yesterday? I'll just use that. <laughs> or like, oh, Snarkle's going to the bathroom. I guess I'll just go to the bathroom too. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. What about you? What are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, well, that's well. First of all, I think it's really funny. You, it's a funny way to think about it. Is like this is sort of an improv. It really is. I mean, it's kind of an mm-hmm. improv exercise in a lot of ways. Yeah. And there was. Aren't really you
1: good at that? That's your jam. I, no,
0: well, I mean, I've done it a lot in in many years ago, but I'm, I wouldn't ever claim to be good at it. But it is stressful and it is really hard, right? Like it mm-hmm. is like it, like you said, you can't just like assume you're going to pop up there and be great and funny or, or be able to kind of engage in something creative, you really do have to kind of think about it and, and be able to think quickly about it. Yeah. Um, I You know, related to that note, like, it, I don't know if you remember this, but um, at the beginning of our game, it, it opened by by Matthew, our game master, basically saying, uh, Haney, describe what you see around you. <laughs> and you were like the very first person that got called. And 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 the the prompt was essentially like tell us whatever you want to tell us, <laughs> uh-huh. which is which is so little constraint from which to build from. Yeah. Um, yeah, that seemed very stressful to me. You did, it, yeah, you did yeah. a fine job.
1: I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I probably just imagined scene from Firefly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, That's I'll do ship, this. Dude. So, is that imaginative, or is that just poaching content?
0: It's build, It's building on other <laughs> ideas. That's that's the, that's the polite way to say it. Yes,
1: um, very <laughs> it's remixing, yeah. Oh, it's remixing, yes, yeah. yes. That's actually a theoretically sound-out.
0: Yeah, we could write a paper <laughs> on remixing. We can't write a paper on stealing.
1: <laughs> we want to welcome back today, Matthew Berlin and Intero Garcia. And we're going to talk a little bit about role-playing games and the line between imagination and play and all of those good things. So we're really thankful to have them on again as guests um, and our expert guests right, to tell us more about what game design and role-play affords and gives us in our lives. Uh,
0: Matthew, can you tell us a little bit
3: about who you are and what you're doing here? So uh, my name is uh, Matthew Berland. I'm an uh, associate professor at uh, UW Madison. I run the game design program uh, there. And Antero, who are you?
2: Uh, I'm Antero Garcia. I profess at Stanford <laughs> University. I'm excited. I'm excited to to see what happens today.
0: Maybe I'll start with just this this feature, this sort of core feature of role-playing games of of playing pretend. Right? I mean, I feel like pretend is kind of a core part of any f- aspect of play. We can kind of pretend that a, uh, a plastic chess piece is a knight, or we can imagine that a stick is, is actually a sword. Uh, we, we, we take ordinary things and we transform them into something else, something more more extraordinary or something else altogether. Um, and so I guess I'm wondering, you know, when we think about this, this idea about pretend, um, what role does it play in role-playing games? Um, what do we learn when we engage in these in this in this practice? What do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about other things, when we engage in role playing?
3: One thing in learning sciences and in educational research we come back to so much is about identity, right? It, it's not just are you able to do task X, it's how do you learn to connect with um, uh, sets of knowledge or or feel the importance or understand or how do you how can you use your own experiences and values. Um, to, to learn new things, to to come to new forms of knowledge. One of the tricky things about identity is it's really hard if you fail at it. Learning is often through failure. And that goes also for identity and, and for sort of you know, in sociocultural context as as well. You, you need that ability to fail without being thrown out of society or kicked out of school. And one of the things that pretend play offers kids, but also adults, This is often, you know, in some ways this is an excuse for adults to do what kids are doing, which is play with identities, which is, again, so crucial, such a core of learning um, in ways that allow for failure, but also that um, where the failure doesn't have negative ramifications, if anything, as positive ramifications.
2: As Matthew and I were thinking earlier this week for – a, a potential project. You know, one of the things they oftentimes think about is when, when you, when you're, if you're playing like a civics kind of game with young people, you can have them go and pretend to march in front of city hall um, and, and pretend to, you know, engage in a mock protest for, you know, wh- whatever the game requires. But once they, once you finish the game, the students have now learned how to protest and how to march in front of city hall and now how to know how to protest. Right there's there's this there's probably something around education and transfer, and I'm sure you know. Our, our fields have have something profound to say around this. But I think just the very simple idea of the game as a form of um, social, civic, academic growth, and, and that pretending is the foundational part of that feels kind
1: of important to me. So I think one of the things that I'm thinking about, too, that both of you are saying is about how, you know, it's not necessarily the pretending that is the end goal, right, the end product, but it's what pretending and what any of these tools, right, whether it's role play, whether you're going to do some kind of dramatic thing or whether you're playing a board game or whatever it is, like what that actually does for people. Um, And what it does for people is also like identities um, in the making, right? And trying out a bunch of identities. And just to throw a question out there, um, I'm also thinking about how some identities stick to people, um, even if you're trying them out and rehearsing them and some identities do not stick to people. Um, And I think about that with young kids, how that stickiness could be really detrimental to them. And I remember reading this one article about like how the kids in the classroom really loved playing monsters, right? And they would play it all the time. Um, And the interesting thing, part of it is that a lot of the white kids could take those identities on and off right? Like they could be the monster during play, but then when play is over, they can resume whatever they decided they were and how they were going to move through the world. And what she found was that a lot of the black kids, they were seen as monsters, right? Like they had this monstrous characteristic during pretend play. And for some reason, after that was over, it wasn't pretend anymore, right? And it's kind of like this unfair thing because They were just trying it out like all of us like we were trying out an identity and sometimes those identities stick to us and i think on the reverse side right like some of us like to play out like a commanding whatever it is and that gives us affordances right and then some of us um like me if you're like a small asian lady (laughs) somehow like it works like in a certain context but people don't always see you like that like It's like taken on and off, right? doesn't have sticking power or whatever it is. But I guess the question is like, what do we, how should we think about that or navigate that? Because I think both of you have such important points. And I totally agree that that is like really like the identity making is happening when we can have these free and flexible spaces of pretend play. Um, but then circulating around it are all these parameters, right, around our identities.
2: I feel, I think, speaking to, you know, which identities stick, right, that feels like, you know, this was this was a prototypical moment of this. Reminds, there's a, another colleague here in the psychology department, uh, Stephen Roberts, who's been doing work on um, uh, if you have been raised uh, to see uh, if you are a Christian and you've been raised um, to see um, God as a white man, right? In terms of depictions, right? The ways that can funnel into your work environment and how you think about white m- white men in authority positions of you, right? I think you know. So these ideas of like what identities stick and how they play out probably have profound uh, impacts, you know, mm-hmm. on us to some extent. I do think it goes both ways too, though. In in that, um, you know, I might I might a, a character might be something that sticks to me. But I might also stick to a character. When I was doing a whole bunch of kind of ethnographic work on um, gaming tabletop gaming communities, um, there's one there's one person in particular who, who I worked pretty closely with who always played a dwarf. Right, this was just his thing, and he was kind of a, a former military. He was a military vet, uh, and as he talked and described himself, like he identified himself as carrying kind of like very uh, Tolkien esque uh, dwarf. Uh, dispositions in how he saw the world. Right? He was very maybe dogmatic. He had, he had little patience for people who, who didn't understand the kind of rules and procedures of things. And so for him, like he was, uh, I actually titled an article around this. Uh, he, uh, the, the quote is, uh, I piss off a lot of people when I play dwarfs like dwarfs. Right? It, it's very much like <laughs> I embody this kind of dwarf aesthetic and I, I live in this identity. So it's not just that, like these identities ca- carried on to you, but you, you might carry them with you also. I'm, I'm not saying this, the reversal side of this very clearly. I,
3: you know, I. Agree with everything everybody has said. The one the one thing I would take a little issue with, Henny, is free and flexible. Flexible maybe, but free I don't think is a good plan. Um, it, I, I think, you know, as the teacher, as the game designer, it's incumbent on you to pay a lot of attention to how you're structuring that classroom or that game. And if you are forcing a situation where all the black kids are – monsters that is bad i don't know i hope that's that's a just a broad statement that's a bad thing um yeah and and it being more thoughtful about what it means and and complexifying the characters and complexifying the situation is part of the constraints that you yeah thank you um uh and tarot said that that was very bold of me to say um the the uh uh we're not afraid of controversy. Yeah, here, right, right. <laughs> I, but, I, but I, you know, it's 100% serious. I think one of the reasons these things aren't just free play, I mean, I, I, this is not against free play, but I think there is re- something real about the reasons it's not just f- free play um, and the reason that classrooms aren't discovery learning. It's the same principle um, is that. Society is very imperfect. There are so many issues and there's so many uh, inequities and and there's so many problems. And the last thing you want to do is just say, hey, everybody's already got everything they need. Let's just work with whatever you know. And everybody who doesn't already know what they want to do for a living. Sorry. Um, is the same reason you walk into a game and say everybody do anything all the time because the people who yeah. already know and who want to construct these entities and want to have the power or have some means of the power will assert that power. And part of what you do as a as a teacher I, I can say as a as a t- part of what I've tried I try to do maybe um, successfully or unsuccessfully is think about the power relations in the classroom and that's the, and that's something I also try to think about. In games, and again, if you get into a situation where you have enabled um, uh, those inequities not only to uh, to to stick, as you say, as negative identities, that's 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 a, a you know a situation where um, you haven't really paid attention to how how power and race and and inequity manifest themselves. I'm not saying it can't happen otherwise. Obviously, yeah. um, the, these things are are unconscious parts of. Uh, uh, of society, they, they exist, but at least you can try. And that sounds to me like a situation where that was not the focus of, of how they tried.
1: That's such a, I mean, that is such an important point because, and I think also an important point for like early childhood educators, right? Because I feel like the pinnacle of how we think about play is like free play, right? And I think you're right that that play doesn't, can't always be like this free, everybody does everything play, you know? And I think what you're talking about is like, alluding to that there's like, not necessarily rules, but maybe conditions around like how to make equitable or how to create spaces of equitable play, right? Where everybody can have, participate and contribute and experiment, right? With these identities that they wanna try out. Um, And so I'm wondering if you have comments on like, what are the conditions
2: Well, I was actually, I was going to pose this to you, Matthew, of, um, you know, I think think one of the conditions of tabletop play that is pretty common, it's not universal, but I think it, it shows up in the majority of games, is having some kind of facilitator, some kind of game master or dungeon master. As much as you pointed to this game, like, much much of the action is, is dependent on the players, and, and you kind of respond to it. You are also still guiding us to some extent. And I guess I'm curious if you want to speak to whatever this—I'm going to call it Game Master, right? Whatever the Game Master's role—also Master in that title probably can do a lot of work in terms of unpacking on this, too. <laughs> I don't know, Matthew, if you, if you have thoughts around that.
3: Like, what constraints can a GM add to make a situation more equitable or more conscious of power? I mean— I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that question, but I can just say <laughs> trying to be conscious of it at all at all times is goes really far, um, and just trying to sort of see where it pops up and see where it doesn't. I've been in a lot of games over the years where people have repeated words that s- sort of are connotatively, if not denotatively, problematic that come from um, fantasy tropes, right? Even the fact that. D&D Dungeons and Dragons has historically used the term race to describe uh, different, like drag- dragons uh, uh, versus humans. Um, it is an interesting thing, and just f- I don't want to say you're policing because what you're doing is you're, const- you're you're providing constraints and you're showing people what. The grounds of the conversation are, and I don't think it's it's ill-meaning, but somebody might sort of start with an accent that you find offensive, and if you just sort of say, you know, we're not going to do that accent. Why don't you think about it, mm. and then move on. You don't have to be like you're a bad person now, and what you've done has ruined it. Um, you just say no, okay, let's let's shift. And so much work can be done by those little uh, bumpers on the side to help. Um, help focus people and enable them to see some of the power relations they may have not been aware of in their behavior, but you can say, <laughs> you can say no. And if they need an explanation, you can have a discussion with them later. But, you know, I think in, in this, as in so many classrooms, 99 times out of a hundred, they know exactly why once you've helped them focus on it, right? It's, it's rare that someone will say, there's no reason that's offensive. They'll say, oh, ooh, yep. Right. Okay. Yes. And then you'll move on. And then now they've got a little bit more focus on that kind of thing. Well, I think,
0: you know, I, I think we could even talk about this a little more with regard to, we've talked mostly at this point about kind of the um, the power dynamics and considerations for ways in which we're participating in in, um, in socially acceptable or um, socially productive ways, right? But there's, there's also this other component, which is... Creativity and and what kind of thinking can you support and what kinds of conversations can you enable and I think the the game master role is is a kind of interesting kind of component of these these role-playing games and um, in that, and then if we talk about other kinds of video games or other kinds of even, even you know, board games, there's sort of a rule system, and that rule system is kind of defined by a book or a manual of some sort. Um, maybe it's a computer itself kind of keeps check of those rules and whether or not you're following the rules. But then in this case, there might be a manual, and in most cases, there is some sort of a manual, but but the, the sort of ways in which you follow those rules or the ways in which you implement those rules comes down, you know, almost entirely to a person. What I'm trying to say is the rules are very, very minimal here, and they're also implemented, or chosen to be implemented, entirely by the players. And and so there's this kind of tension between, you know, when we think about game design um, between sort of the degree to which there's a high high amount of structure, or the degree to which we sort of, you called it earlier, sort of something closer to free play, right? So. Those structures can be important for figuring out kind of what are appropriate ways to play. But they also support different types of thinking and different types of kind of creativity and, 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 and explorations in here. And so I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, can you say a little bit about the, the relationship between sort of structure and, and maybe rules in this case and the kind of play that's possible or the kind of thinking or, or creativity that might be possible in such a
3: space? When you are teaching someone to paint, you don't just give them, this is again, I'm I'm repeating myself a little bit, but when you're teaching someone to paint, you don't just give them a blank canvas and a bunch of of paint and say, go. But the way that you get there, the way that you come into this creativity is that you find those sets of constraints and you find the the points in those sets of constraints where you can allow for um, uh, degrees of freedom, as it were. I guess the answer is, I I always try and I'd rather err on the side of too many constraints Um, in general um, and then figure out where we can break those constraints when I'm making a game or or teaching a class I'm happy to break constraints it's easy to do that it's hard to go the other way Um, after you've let all the sheep out of the pen um, then they're no longer doing synchronized swimming and Taro
2: those values are never neutral um, within a game or within a schooling setting and so just to go back to matthew like the, the painting example, I agree that if I want to know how to paint in a way that is uh, read as being a painter, then I probably need to start with particular kinds of formal constraints. but if I want to paint but only use paper clips and never actually touch a canvas or use what people imagine as paint, then I probably don't want to go with those constraints. I probably want to reimagine painting anew um, using only what you can find in like the the paper clip aisle of a staples or something like that i got I think there's a way to think about you know. Um the possibilities of you still need constraints i, I think I think that's the point i i, I was pointing up this quote from um Stravinsky uh, who talks about the abyss of freedom right that like this is this is a, a terrible you know that the challenge of freedom is um that it, it it's it's the limit the limit the, it is limitless which means it is it is terrible terrible and um not useful
3: I do think it's interesting and maybe a little ironic, and maybe you kind of double back in the end that your example of how to be free of externalized constraints was to give yourself an extreme set of constraints, (laughs) right? You're like, Oh yeah, I'm, I don't want to be bound by your rules, man. I'm only going to paint with seven paper clips. You're like, okay, sure. So I think, you know, the, the point might stand. I think the question is how do you get to the point where you can understand that seven paper clips or whatever are going to create this meaningful thing. Like how do you know when you are able to break existing constraints?
2: I, I had this vision of, you know, I was working with my ninth graders and I had this vision of them reimagining our classroom, right? We were gonna like literally redesign the space. And so I spent uh the whole morning on the first day of school right so i spent the whole morning moving out all of the furniture out of out of my classroom like it just put it all in the hallway which probably was a safety hazard in <laughs> retrospect um but first day first period these kids who've never been in high school walk into this empty classroom and you know this teacher who they've never met before is like students this is your space you can do whatever you want with it make the classroom right and they they all looked at me and we had to stand off for a while and then after a while they just kind of like slumped their shoulders <laughs> went out in the hallway that all the desks in and put them in rows, right? they're like, they're like, is this, is this we want to put your goddamn furniture back in the classroom, right? They, like, they basically recreated, you know, they recreated the classroom as they, as they knew it was supposed to be, right? is the, you know, uh, and so like where you can push on these boundaries uh, is both, there There are existing boundaries but also means you can you can learn and push on those over time right like there's ways i probably could have modeled these clearer over time um than than just say on the beginning let's let's redesign space right in this in in this very problematic way on the first day
0: what a what a delightful moment for a new teacher though right like just perfectly (laughs) encapsulates this like yes we're gonna break the rules we're gonna change things crap that's not how any of this works (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, not even a
1: little bit. We're not necessarily having a conversation about whether or not there should be rules versus no rules, right? It's like thinking about like what you know whether regardless of whether or not we have rules or constraints or boundaries or whether we decide to have an empty classroom where all the kids are the movers and they do all the work for us right? (laughs) like it's not just about that right it's about like what does that afford us like what are the questions that get raised like what's what are the possibilities through that like what does it do or not do for imagination and maybe That's the question that we should be asking as teachers or as educators or as people in the classroom, right? That we shouldn't be arguing about what the rules are and whether or not we should have them, right? Because no one here is arguing that we should or should not, um, but that we should think about like, what if, right? What does it do um, for the boundaries of the classroom and for people in it?
0: What a a great uh, way to sort of summarize that conversation. Um, I love it. So kind of what if and the ways in which these role-playing games give us space and, and give us um, freedom to kind of push on the, the nature of, an, of, a, uh, of where we are and what we could be and what we could create together and, and how rules play into that. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Antero and Matthew, for, for both playing Lady Blackbird with us and also helping us try to make sense of what the hell we just did and why that was worth doing and, and um, That was great. Thank you guys.
1: Thanks for listening to Pop and Play, and thanks to Matthew and Antero for joining us. Pop and Play is produced by Haney Yoon, Nathan Holbert, Lalitha Vasudevan, and Joe Ferry at Teachers College, Columbia University, with the Digital Futures Institute. This episode was edited by Jen Lee and Billy Collins. For a transcript and to learn more, visit tc.edu slash popandplay.
0: Our music is selections from Leaf Eater by Pottington Bear used here under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial license. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.